This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Russia increased attacks on Zaporizhia, a city in southern Ukraine where at least 12 civilians died over the last two days. Ukrainian officials suggest that Russia employed Iranian-supplied drones alongside ongoing missile attacks. Amid growing criticism of Russia's military leadership, the commander of its eastern military district, Alexander Chaiko, has been fired according to RBC, a Russian news outlet. Ukraine has recently made significant advances on both the eastern and southern fronts. This year's Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to one individual and two organizations fighting authoritarianism in the post-Soviet region. The prize was shared between Alice Bialyatsky, a Belarusian pro-democracy activist, Memorial, one of Russia's oldest human rights organizations long hounded by the Kremlin, and the Center for Civil Liberties, a Ukrainian human rights group that has documented war crimes since Russia's invasion. America's labor market slowed slightly in September as aggressive rate rises targeting high inflation have cooled the economy. Official data recorded 263,000 new jobs, which was fewer than the 315,000 positions added in August, but better than expected. That resilience may invite further tightening from the Fed at its next meeting on November 2nd. Credit Suisse said it would buy back up to $3 billion of its own debt in a bid to reassure investors amid persistent concerns about its liquidity. Before the announcement, shares in the Swiss bank had fallen 55% this year, while credit default swaps and insurance-like derivative had risen. But the latest move helped calm markets. Shares in the bank rose 3% in early trading. Britain's climate minister said that the government was not asking people to use less energy one day after the company that manages the country's power transmission network warned that homes and businesses could face power cuts over winter. Meanwhile, the EU and Norway, Europe's largest external gas supplier after Russia cut its flows to the bloc, agreed to, quote, jointly develop tools to normalize the energy market and reduce prices. Mr. Biden pardoned all Americans convicted of simple marijuana possession under federal law, fulfilling a campaign pledge. The move affects more than 6,500 people. He also ordered a review of whether marijuana should remain, for sentencing purposes, in the same class of drugs as heroin and LSD. Recreational marijuana use is legal in 19 states and Washington, D.C. Quarterly profits at Samsung Electronics fell for the first time in three years as demand for smartphones and memory chips plummeted. The South Korean conglomerate, the market leader in both fields, estimated that operating earnings in the third quarter dropped by 32% to 10.8 trillion won, or $7.7 billion, compared with a year earlier. The woeful state of the world's economy is mainly to blame. And word of the week. Masokubijin, a Japanese phrase to describe someone who looks beautiful in a face mask. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. How long can Ukraine's winning streak last? Ukraine's blistering counteroffensive has, in recent weeks, left Russian forces in disarray particularly in the Kharkiv region in the east and Kherson in the south. 
but the current wave of liberation will probably soon reach its peak. This month, Ukrainian soldiers in Kherson pushed Russian fighters along the Dnieper River, 30 kilometers from the previous front line, and they have continued to make substantial gains in the north of the region. Ukraine's troops are honing in on parts of northern Luhansk, the only one of the four annexed regions where Russia enjoys anything close to complete control. They hope to push the Russians back to their positions from before the full-scale invasion. But the window of opportunity may prove short. Russian forces will soon be bolstered by thousands of recently mobilized troops. Though poorly trained, they will supplement Mr. Putin's fight, and the onset of wintry conditions may soon chill the advance. Nevada's nail-biting Senate race One indication of a tight election is whether party bigwigs hit the campaign trail. Nevada has become a runway for wannabe Republican presidential candidates. Donald Trump will head to the state on Saturday to stump for Adam Laxalt and Joe Lombardo, the Republican hopefuls for Senate and governor. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and various members of Mr. Trump's former cabinet have also visited the Silver State. The Economist's midterm model suggests Nevada's Senate race is a toss-up, making it a crucial battleground for control of Congress's upper chamber. The contest will test whether Catherine Cortez Masto, the Democratic incumbent, can woo Latino voters who abandoned her party between 2016 and 2020. Democrats may also discover whether their political machine can endure despite the death of its architect and former Senate Majority Leader, Harry Reid. Reid's machine turned Nevada light blue. Come November, it may have a different hue. The New York Philharmonic Returns to Lincoln Center In the late 1950s, a working-class black and Hispanic neighborhood in Manhattan was raised to make way for Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. This unsavory legacy will be addressed when David Geffen Hall, the New York Philharmonic's home at Lincoln Center, reopens on Saturday after a two-year, $550 million renovation. San Juan Hill, A New York Story, an orchestral piece by Etienne Charles, a jazz trumpeter, honors the rich culture of the destroyed neighborhood, whose residents included Thelonious Monk, a jazz pianist. The upcoming season features music by several living composers, including Cuban-born Tania Leon and Marcos Balter, a Brazilian. The hall, long criticized for its subpar acoustics and dreary decor, has been redesigned with amenities that include a giant screen in the lobby to simulcast concerts. These musical and architectural gestures are an attempt to atone for past transgressions and attract the younger and more diverse audience needed to secure the Philharmonic's future. The Women's Rugby World Cup According to bookmakers, there is little doubt which team will win the Women's Rugby World Cup, which begins on Saturday in Auckland, New Zealand. Betting $100 on England will win you only $50 if they prevail, such as the recent dominance of the Red Roses. England enter the tournament on an unprecedented 25-match winning streak. The last two times the team played New Zealand, who are five-time World Cup winners and current holders, England won 43-12 and 56-15. Canada and France, who have been knocked out at the semi-final stage on six occasions, are the other teams with some hope of glory. But it would be a big surprise if the final, on November 12th, were anything other than a repeat of the 2017 event. 
Five years ago, New Zealand staged a storming second-half comeback to win 41-32. This time around, England are odds-on to exact their revenge. Weekend Profile Ron DeSantis, the man whom even hurricanes cannot batter. As an undergraduate at Yale, Ron DeSantis captained his baseball team. Now Florida's Republican governor has his mind on home runs of the political sort. Hurricane Ian, which hit his state on September 28th, has left more than 115 Floridians dead and caused up to $57 billion in insured losses. That may make it the second costliest hurricane to strike America after Hurricane Katrina in 2005. But for Mr. DeSantis, the storm's wreckage has brought political opportunity and a chance to demonstrate managerial know-how. On Wednesday, he appeared alongside Joe Biden, whom he often criticizes, as the president surveyed the damage. This time, it was all comedy. Mr. DeSantis thanked him for providing federal aid. Mr. Biden said that they had worked, quote, hand in glove. Disaster management has revealed a fresh side to the governor. Until recently, he seemed more interested in lobbing bombs in America's culture wars. In April, after Disney criticized a state ban on the discussion of sexuality and gender orientation among young children in public school classrooms, Mr. DeSantis hit back. He hastily signed a law revoking Disney's, quote, special district status, which for decades had allowed the media giant to operate much like a county government at its complex in central Florida. Hammering Democrats for their perceived weakness on border security is another preoccupation. In September, Mr. DeSantis chartered private planes with state funds to send Venezuelan migrants in San Antonio, Texas, to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, an enclave for the wealthy liberals Mr. DeSantis loves to taunt. Those stunts, along with his aversion to lockdowns during the pandemic, have endeared the governor to conservatives. Mr. DeSantis is now viewed as a potential rival to Donald Trump, a fellow Florida resident, for the Republican nomination for the presidential election in 2024. He has fashioned himself in a similar vein, emphasizing issues such as election, quote, integrity and border security, but carries none of the former president's baggage. Ironically, it was Mr. Trump's surprise endorsement that helped Mr. DeSantis take the governor's mansion in 2018. That race was close enough to prompt a recount. In November, he is expected to breeze to re-election. He commands an 11-point lead over his opponent, Charlie Crist. Now, Mr. DeSantis is focused on raising his national profile. Hurricane Ian has let him do just that. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia. Yumi Arima, Tokyo, Japan. North America, Katie King, Vancouver, Canada. Central and South America, Alvaro Tomas, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Rohr Medici, Kog, Denmark. Africa, Wael Abdel Wahab, Cairo, Egypt. Oceania, Jennifer Bladen Clark, Melbourne, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Lightning Rod, Marriage of Figaro, Mamma Mia, Galileo, and Beelzebub. The theme is that these words all appear in the lyrics of Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen song. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Willie Brandt, who died on this day in 1992. 
those who adhere to the past won't be able to cope with the future. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.